Hey folks, Andy Patton here, joined today by college basketball bracketologist Lucas Harkins. Lucas and I are going to discuss his latest bracket predictions and his thoughts on this Gonzaga team and the WCC as a whole, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Run Your Pool. March Madness is here and Run Your Pool has a better way to create your bracket. RunYourPool.com, the premier sports pool hosting service. All right, I am super thrilled today to be joined by Lucas Harkins. Lucas is a writer at Heat Check College Basketball, a fantastic independent college basketball site, a must read for anybody who loves college basketball but has not checked this site out yet. Lucas does a lot of their bracketologist stuff. Second most accurate bracketologist in the business last year, according to BracketMatrix.com, Lucas. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, before we kind of dig into your most recent bracket, which comes after a pretty insane day of basketball on Saturday for College Hoops, I kind of just wanted to get your background and, and why you got into doing brackets specifically. I know I love making brackets. I know most of the people who listen to the show probably love making brackets, but what, uh, what spurned you to start doing it uh, in a more professional manner? You know, I think it was just giving me something else to do when I was in college because yeah. uh, I, I did it throughout high school um, mm-hmm. just kind of on my own. I didn't start publicly posting it until uh, my freshman year of college, and that's when I kind of started to get into more of the, the media realm of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was more just I, I needed to do something, um, mm-hmm. and I decided I always loved doing it. It's something to do while I'm watching hoops games. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a data analyst by trade, so mm-hmm. it, it just gives me a little bit something else to do. Um I'm a healthcare analyst, so my data put, putting that to work with college hoops um, in bracketology, I think, was kind of a mix for me that that fit well. Yeah, it's it's kind of a fun little mix, and for me, like I, I like I haven't dove, dove all the way into the bracketology aspect of things uh, outside of my own brackets, but I I always like finding excuses to consume sports that maybe not everybody is is consuming, and obviously, a lot of people watch college basketball, but a lot of people watch like power five conference college basketball, or maybe Gonzaga basketball, big East basketball as well. I know that's an area of strength for you as well, but like, this is a great opportunity where it's like, this makes me want to watch a lot more, you know, mountain West basketball. Mountain West has a whole bunch of teams that have kind of been right on that bubble or even like whack basketball. Obviously I'm a West coast guy. So for me, like I'm super interested in, is somebody going to steal a bid from New Mexico state this year? And I know that not a lot of people who even consume college basketball are necessarily into that stuff, but obviously for you, this gives you an opportunity to really kind of dig into some of that stuff and pay attention to some of the smaller conferences on the East coast that, that, you know, a lot of people really aren't, aren't paying attention to is that kind of, uh, help help you kind of follow some of those teams that maybe a lot of people are barely aware are even uh, in existence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it also gives me a little bit of a pass socially to say I'm watching Chicago <laughs> State, New Mexico State. Um, it gives me a little bit of a pass. Like, oh, I'm watching it for this reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's part of it. I think for me, um, I grew up like I, I'm a, I grew up a Wisconsin fan, so I was a major mm-hmm. conference guy. 
Um, but my brother and my sister went to Milwaukee. So mm-hmm. I, I followed them. And then I went to Butler because I was following the Horizon League. And it kind of – the Horizon League's trended a bit down since then. But it's kind of always had that um, in the mix for me. And plus mm-hmm. these next two weeks are maybe the best two weeks of the season, I, mm-hmm. I think, in general. Two, the Thursday and Friday of March Madness are unmatched. But from a whole week or two-week standpoint, these conference tournament weeks are really a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, conference tournament season – is an absolute blast. I'm super excited to get into it. But we kind of got a little glimpse early of like what this kind of madness can truly be like. Saturday, seven of the top 10 teams in college basketball all lost. It was a completely insane day, of course. Uh, the, the dread that Gonzaga fans were feeling throughout the day, seeing two and three and four and five and six all lose, knowing that the Zags were going to play, you know, the 23rd ranked St. Mary's team at home uh, on senior night in Moraga, I, I think. I didn't think that they were going to lose, but it you just started to really feel like things were starting to starting to go against them as the as the day went on. Uh, for you, you released your brackets uh, on Monday. It looked like this this top four: Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, and Kansas. I'm curious after a day as crazy as we saw on Saturday, how much that really shook up your top seeds, uh, and kind of how I guess how confident you feel in those four teams, and how much it could potentially change between now and Selection Sunday. Yeah, you know I'll paraphrase one of my other bracketologist buddies, Jonathan Warner drops a, if everyone loses, who loses? Right. Um, and, and I think that that, that really fits um, with how this weekend went. Um, Gonzaga goes down and, but really doesn't make much of a shift. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you see those kind of things happen. I think the really only major shift um, on my top couple seed lines was Baylor jumping back onto mm-hmm. the one um, in favor of Auburn. And this is something that I've been kind of leaning towards for a while, just Baylor's metrics are off the charts. They have great mm-hmm. wins. They're really comparable to Kansas. Um, I could see them getting as high as my number two overall seed. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're able to win another game, they're able to win their next one. Um, so not too much shifting on the top line. I think I've talked about this um, a little bit in the past on other shows that Gonzaga just has such an edge um, in quality metrics right now. And it's mm-hmm. not just that they're number one across the board, they're number one across the board by a margin that the committee's knows mm-hmm. that margin they can see that there's a huge gap between one and two. Uh, so maybe not having the resume metrics of an Arizona or a Baylor, mm-hmm. uh, but the quality metric difference is so significant. We're barring another Gonzaga loss. I think to the number one overall seed. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the resume there, there are some concerns about the resume, but I saw it was posted today uh, against Ken Palm top 25 teams, which is different than AP top 25 teams. And obviously a lot of other metrics Gonzaga is six and three. And so it's not great, you know, Purdue six and oh, there's other teams that had better winning percentages, but of the top 10 teams, I believe the only team that had played more top 25 teams was Kentucky. I believe, I believe they'd played 10 and they were five and five and Gonzaga six and three. So I I know that there's some, you know, Gonzaga doesn't play those games throughout the season. They, they kind of jumble a lot of them early. In this case, they got one late, obviously, against St. Mary's. But I wonder how much, obviously, there's perception issues with Gonzaga that a lot of people have about their conference and, and that. But, you know, you look at their loss to St. Mary's versus, you know, Arizona, who lost to Colorado. Not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination, but according to your bracket and basically every bracket, Colorado's not going to make the tournament, whereas St. Mary's is. So I wonder if, like, you know, if there's just if there's ever going to be a shift in the way people perceive this, or if it's just kind of something that Gonzaga just has to wear and deal with uh, because of their conference. Yeah, I think it's a little unfair. Um, I'll admit to being a Gonzaga defender, which I think is 
incredible that I even have to say that. Um, <laughs> but I would say it's interesting with the way Gonzaga has the front-loaded schedule mm-hmm. uh, conference-wise where a team like Duke or Kentucky seems to get the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. uh, like losing earlier games in the schedule because they have freshmen. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a little bit unfair to Gonzaga. It's not like Chet mm-hmm. Holmgren is a freshman too. And I think we've seen him get – way better as the season has progressed. And that's the same with other Gonzaga freshmen. It's mm-hmm. just it's just that their games in the front of the schedule matter more than those teams do because yeah. the WCC this year affords enough opportunities. I think the WCC this year gets a little bit of a bad rep in that it's a bad mm-hmm. conference, which it's not. Mm-hmm. I think it affords more good opportunities this year, mm-hmm. um, BYU, San Francisco, uh, St. Mary's, but the bottom mm-hmm. is still the bottom. Right. Um, I think if you like if you compare the top of the WCC to the top of the Pac-12, it's not that dissimilar. Mm-hmm. But the middle of the Pac-12 and the middle of the of the, of the WCC is, I think, where the, the metrics really trend towards mm-hmm. the bigger conference. Yeah, there's there's a pretty significant difference there. And I think there, there are some Gonzaga fans, certainly, who, who may swing too far on that pendulum and want to violently defend the WCC top to bottom. And it's eh, that that's a bit of a tougher sell. But top four top five between the Pac-12 and the WCC is pretty close it gets it it spreads out pretty significantly after that but it's it's not nearly as far apart and I think for Gonzaga like you know they they lose to Auburn a battle in Seattle this you know pseudo home game for the Zags this tough non-conference loss but it's like they were Mark Few kept saying it he kept saying like this team is going to get better like we have young players we're still trying to figure ourselves out we lost to a team that Alabama shot the hell out of the basketball in that game. They shot better than they've shot the entire rest of the season. And with and the way Alabama plays, if they're going to get the hot, you're going to lose. Yeah, yeah, that, that's just yeah, what they're capable of doing. Yeah, and, and you you know that that loss gets held over Gonzaga significantly more than you know maybe an Auburn loss to Georgia, who's a significantly worse team. I know that that loss penalized them significantly, but it's always been interesting to me to see how how quickly people will jump on the few bad games Gonzaga has where they seem far more likely to forgive, you know, bad games against Missouri or Duke barely beating Wake Forest or, or games like that. I don't think it's ever going to change. Uh, and I don't think that, you know, as much as people who who are in this industry tend to agree with, hey, Gonzaga is really good and their conference isn't holding them back the way that people think that it is. Uh, it's just, it's always going to be tough for them to, to th- those non-conference games have a lot more pressure on them than they do for other teams. Yeah, and I think Gonzaga's postseason success uh, has played a factor in that. Mm-hmm. I think there would be less of this stereotype Gonzaga gets a great seed and wins all the time. Right. If, for instance, they didn't reach the Sweet 16 as an 11. If mm-hmm. they lose in the first round as an 11, you remember that was an 11 seed and not just the team that made the Sweet 16. Right. Uh, I think if you there's some of that where you look back and like, well, they have a six or eight Sweet 16 teams, and everyone just is like, well, they were a one or two seed every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not really accurate. They just had some years where they're over, they're overachieved, yep. uh, which I think is was great at the time, but it's maybe hurt the perception um, yeah. oh, way it, over the past few years. It's incredible how many people say Gonzaga always gets a one seed and they always leave, when in reality Gonzaga has been a one seed three times. Three times. And yes, one time they lost to a nine seed. That was that was brutal. That was the first time they ever won seed. They lost to a nine seeded Wichita State team that went to the Final Four and went undefeated the next season. Uh, hey, so awesome. they made the Final Four. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, there are, there are two times they were number one seeds. They went to the national championship game. Like, it's like, that's what you expect. Yeah. If, I I hear one, if I hear one more person say, well, we saw what happened last year. Like, they didn't have, 
like yeah. 352 other teams wouldn't have been thrilled with the results. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They got their bell rung in the championship game and that was a bummer, but that was also, like, I think that Baylor team was one of the, like the 15 awesome. best teams that we've seen in the last like decade. They're really good. <laughs> Incredible team. Yeah. All right, Lucas, thank you for joining me. We're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to talk a little bit more about your most recent bracket and talk about what it looks like for the Zags. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Run Your Pool. March Madness is only two weeks away. That means you need to start thinking now about when you're going to be running your brackets this year. Are you going for the usual or are you going for the best? We've done our homework here and we're running brackets with runyourpool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pick X. They have options to edit scoring, and they offer more intel to make your picks, all stuff you won't find at ESPN or CBS. If you've got a business, Run Your Pool can help you take some of that madness magic and play alongside your employees or even gain customers. Plus, they offer full customer support, custom branding, and one of the easiest three-minute setups you'll ever find. Clearly, we believe in Run Your Pool because, like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. There's no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at a cash prize, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. And while you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family. Enter Pure Madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize. We look forward to seeing you there. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still joined today by Lucas Harkins of Heat Check College Basketball. Lucas, I want to talk more about the most recent bracket that you released on Monday morning at Heat Check. I know that it's going to change between now and Selection Sunday. Obviously, this is one of the craziest two-week periods of the season before we get into the even crazier March Madness. But your most recent bracket came out. We talked about the top four seeds. Gonzaga got what I thought was a pretty favorable bracket. Uh, according to your re re results here, they had Purdue as the number two seed, Texas Tech, who they obviously beat in December in the Jerry Colangelo Classic as the three seed, and then UCLA, who they blew the doors off of, admittedly much earlier in the season when UCLA was not at full strength. But that's the two, three, four. I'm curious, looking at the results there, kind of if you see some serious trap games for the Zags, uh, what you kind of think that bracket might look like for them uh, if it were if it were to be the reality? You know, I think if that's the reality, there's a couple teams there that can kind of give a run. Um, I mm -hmm. think Texas Tech is significantly better than it was earlier in the year mm -hmm. um, for starters. That's a team that I always, I think the past few years, I've underrated for the first two months of the year because of a non-conference strength of schedule that just doesn't impress me. Yeah. Um, and then they rattle off six straight really awesome wins in the Big 12, and they're for real. Um, and I think even earlier in that bracket, Marquette's the eight seed there. Mm -hmm. I think Marquette it has a little bit is a little bit scary because they got two guys. I think they're legit stars. Uh, Daryl Morsell's proven it. Um, defensive player of the year in the Big Ten last year. Um, big time transfer, big time performer. Justin Lewis, uh, really good sophomore for them. Um, I think there's always that. I feel like at least one one seed every year gets a little scare in an eight nine game. Yep. Um, so I always kind of take note of those. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, I don't know. I, I really like Gonzaga this year. I think that mm -hmm. Gonzaga and Arizona are probably the two most well-rounded teams in the country mm -hmm. uh, with the ability to win on offense or defense, uh, which I think is kind of a, a twisted thing that sometimes maybe Alabama last year was the same way. Uh, yeah. Where up-tempo teams, you just kind of don't think that they play defense. Mm -hmm. They play defense. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that there's a lot to like um, if that's the matchup for Gonzaga. I think there are teams – 
maybe on a two line, I would probably feel more, more uncomfortable with the Duke or Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, and Purdue. Cause I think Purdue would play that more offense focused uh, game that I think Gonzaga can probably beat them at. Uh, on the five line, we already talked about like Alabama would be a team to be concerned about. Yeah. Um, they just shoot the lights out. They're good. Arkansas in that same mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe even a team with a true big that can really match up with Timmy underneath. So Illinois with Coburn, yeah. UConn with Sunogo, those kind of teams. Um, might draw my attention as a matchup I'd like to avoid. Um, mm-hmm. but I think, I think all in all this year with Gonzaga, I like maybe even more than the past couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think the team is quite as good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's something to be said for it's a down year for point guards in college basketball and Andrew Nemhart's one of the best. Yeah. We just, I think we just, I think it was Evan Miawa posted a really nice graphic about point guard play in the NCAA and how it has it, me five minutes ago. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I I didn't see a whole. I mean, I just saw a glimpse of the at the graphic, but it looked to me like uh, point guard play. It, I think it was a ranking of the top 100 players in college basketball, and point guards had the fewest amount of representatives on that list. But I mean, this this is a question I didn't prep you for, Lucas, so I apologize. But um, I mean, how, are are there a lot of point guards that you would feel more comfortable with on your roster than Andrew Nembhard, or is he kind of right up there at the, at the top of the list uh, going into the tournament? Yeah, I think he's up there at the top of the list. Um... Count Gillespie's on in that area too. Mm-hmm. Just kind of those steady, uh, long-term guys. Nemhart's been battle tested. Mm-hmm. Gillespie's been battle tested. Those two guys, um, I think I really like in those area. Um, mm-hmm. Total twisted opposite. Um, but I think some defensive-minded freshmen. Um, mm-hmm. Chuck Eppern at Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, Kennedy Chandler is a Kai Ziegler at, at Tennessee. Those kind of guys. Um, depends on how your definition of point guard really goes. Um, JT, you know, JD Note at, at Arkansas, more of an mm-hmm. off guard, but I think there, there are some other guys that I trust, but I would say mm-hmm. Nemhart's right near the top of the list. It's a true point. I think he's right there, especially the way he's developed defensively over the past couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, he's been, you know, obviously going to a national championship game last year helped him significantly. Two years at Florida has helped him significantly, but uh, I've been, I've been really impressed with him this year. He did not have a good game against St. Mary's. Uh, it's very easy to look at, if you were to just look at Andrew Nembhard's box scores and you could probably pinpoint which three games the Zags lost with relative ease because he's such an important engine to what they do when he's turning the ball over, when he's not uh, finding open guys in the pick and roll, it's, it's really devastating for this team. And if he has a good tournament, there's very little chance in my mind that this team doesn't make it uh, pretty much as far as they did last year, at least right up to it. Um, you mentioned this team and last year's team, and that's been such a hot topic for not just Gonzaga fans, but I think a lot of people who cover college basketball to kind of compare these two teams. Obviously, you know, the quick look on paper, this team lost three games. Last year's team lost zero games at this point in the season. But uh, And then obviously Jalen Suggs, Corey Kispert, Joel Iyayi, three NBA guys, uh, you know, on the wing and at the guard positions, incredible depth that they had up there. But for me – this team is so much more dynamic defensively, and it starts with Chet Holmgren. I mean, he's such – they did not have a player even close to this last year. Corey Kispert was basically the four all of the season last year, and Drew Timmy played the five. Anton Watson was in the in the picture last year, but he was not nearly as good of a player last year as he has been this year. So the, the difference defensively for this team is just monumental. I don't know um, what, what more can be said that hasn't already been said about Chet Holmgren and the impact that he has on this team, but to me that's that's – somebody who really carries them in March because of his ability to impact the game on, really on both ends of the floor, but specifically on defense. Yeah. I'd say there's something to be said for Gonzaga is not as good as it was last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one is Baylor. 
Right. Uh, like, like I think last year, Gonzaga and Baylor were so head and shoulders above everyone else. Mm-hmm. And then meeting in the championship game wasn't a surprise to anybody. Right. Uh, I think this year there's going to be a lot more variability in championship predictions, mm-hmm. uh, in part because there's just so many different teams that, that are in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at just Gonzaga's proven it, two titles in the last four, five years. Mm-hmm. Four, yeah. um, and, and, and they have guys that have been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emhart has been there. Timmy has mm-hmm. been there. Yeah. Um, to an extent, Strother has been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they, they've all been in. The, Watson's been there. They've all been in the mix already. Um, and I think that that's the kind of team that can kind of, as you meant, Holmgren's the X factor. And right. that's funny to say, as one of the best team players in the country, right. he's the X factor for a group that knows how to win already. Yeah. So I think that there are a lot of teams that have stars that haven't made haven't made deep runs. And Gonzaga is the same way with Holmgren. But mm-hmm. if he has an off night, there's a lot of other guys that have the experience to make it happen. Absolutely. So, Lucas, you've been doing brackets for a handful of years now. I'm curious just kind of your impressions of the Zags kind of over that time period. You kind of mentioned how, you know, earlier, certainly earlier in their run under Mark Few, they were very often the 11 seeds, the nine seeds. I know a lot of people like to cite Gonzaga's their overall record against higher ranked seeds is bad because they were like an 11 seed for the first 15 years of their run. And over the last five years, it's been so dramatically different. And I'm curious, just as somebody who, you know, doesn't live on the West coast, isn't as, wasn't as familiar with them when you started this and now has kind of covered college basketball for this amount of time over their elite run. What of your impressions of the team and the program have, have kind of altered and shifted and changed as you've kind of seen them, you know, over this last half decade or so. Yeah, I think I'm in a little bit of an interesting spot because I really started covering five years ago. So my mm-hmm. my my start of really covering college basketball seriously has been Gonzaga's dominant. Right. Um, so I didn't follow college hoops pretty religiously through the first right. 18 years of my life, but but truly diving into it and watching more and really looking at it from from an analyst perspective, um, Gonzaga's always been this power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they are that again this year, uh, and I think there's something to be said for. The WCC is not a walkover this year. Yeah. I mean, there are a few teams that I just – like Santa Clara, when they're healthy, is a pretty good basketball team. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't healthy for a lot of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, BYU is a pretty good basketball team. Like, they're sitting mm-hmm. on the bubble, but if you compare, like, they aren't that much different than playing in North Carolina this year. Right. Uh, in terms of a resume perspective, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a bunch of teams, I think, in the WCC that prep you. And while I'm not going to say that a loss – in February is like a great thing for your March hopes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. If you're already locked into a one seed, right. it doesn't hurt. Like yeah. I, I get it. You don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. No one does. Um, but there are a lot of teams that lose, take a game and then start to kind of, that's kind of a kick in the butt and get, get rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that the St. Mary's loss helps Gonzaga, but I, if your seating doesn't change it, the, the bet, the best it can do is help. Right. I mean, I, so, I, I don't remember how many times it's probably pretty rare for a team to lose and then not even move off the number one seed. That's pretty rare. So for the Zags, you and three of them did. Yeah, <laughs> the Zags earlier this season they didn't lose and they dropped from the one seed to the two seed because Auburn jumped them. And so in one season they've they've dropped from the one seed without losing and then kept the one seed after losing, which I have yeah. to imagine has never happened before. I don't know if anybody did the research, but I can't imagine. Yeah, I don't have it off my head either. <laughs> All right, Lucas, we're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to talk about the, we're going to talk a little bit more about the bubble and a little bit more about the WCC. We kind of teased those topics here in the second segment. Uh, before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, 
BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still here with Lucas Harkins and Heat Check College Basketball. Lucas, I want to talk about the bubble because I think it's a fascinating season for the bubble. I think I'm a little bit biased because so many teams that have been on the bubble this year are on the West Coast. I don't know why that is necessarily, if it's just kind of a fluky thing that happened this year, but the bubble has been so many teams that I have been watching Obviously, the WCC, as you touched on, has kind of been right in that conversation, a a conference that has so rarely even put two teams into the NCAA tournament. And for huge chunks of this season, there was legitimate conversation about them being a four-bid conference, which would have been insane. It's looking pretty likely like it's going to be a three-bid conference rather than a four-bid conference. Uh, Before we get into some of that bubble stuff, though, two of the matchups that you had in your most recent bracket really jumped out to me. That would be number six, St. Mary's versus number 11 seed Creighton and number eight, Seton Hall versus number nine, San Francisco. I can tell you right now, I'm going to be watching the hell out of those two games if they happen. Uh, WCC versus Big East is always something that I've wanted to see more of. I know you've watched a fair amount of both these teams. I'm curious what your thoughts are on on those squads and potentially those matchups uh, if they were to happen in March. Yeah, you know, Creighton's an interesting team. I think that they're they're really young this year. They've exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Hawkins has been one of the best players in the Big East um, mm-hmm. as a transfer addition. He's been truly awesome, um, and he's really dangerous, versatile player, big, shoot the three. Um, I think Creighton's going to be a tough team. I think monitoring what I've seen from them this season um, is kind of tough to do because Ryan Nemart's going to miss the rest of the year. Yeah. They're, they're starting point guard, who's probably the Big East freshman of the year. Yeah. Um, and I think it's tough to really say what they're going to look like without him. I think they've only played one game without him so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see where Creighton ends up um, as the season progresses and what they really look like. If it was like right now, we're St. Mary's versus Creighton. I mean, Tommy Coos wins the, the point guard battle yeah. in, in a heartbeat without Nemhart. Um, mm-hmm. Seton Hall, San Francisco. I mean, that is a battle of, I mean, I, I really like the San Francisco team. Yeah. I think they're really well coached. Yeah. Um, I think they're in pretty safe positioning. As you mentioned, the WCC probably likely to get three bids. I have San Francisco mm-hmm. on the nine line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're in pretty good shape, even with a, one bad loss in their resume. I think the rest of it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, Seton Hall looks a bit different without Bryce Aiken, but has played really, again, the Big East team missing the point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, has played well recently. Kadari Richmond has come into that mold a little bit better. Um, Jared Roden, Miles Kale, really experienced guys um, on the wing that can really, they're tough shot makers with size. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys can always get it going. Oh, and they have a dominant shot blocker. So, yeah, always helps. It was always yeah, I, and I think too with San Francisco, like you know, we talk so much about Jamari Bouye, and he's having an extraordinary season and is an extraordinarily talented player. But I think Yuhen uh, Masalski is their big man who transferred from San Diego, who I did not even have on my radar coming into the season, and he's been an absolute machine for them down low. So I think he's he's the kind of guy that if a team uh, is not expecting him to have a big impact. I mean, he he gave Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren a little bit of trouble. He's he's a really talented player, and I think uh, that would just be such a fun matchup between those two teams. Uh, and I think San Francisco, Todd Golden, I think he talked after the San Diego game, he was talking about how he views his team as like 
a secure eight, nine seed team and not, not a bubble team. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's right too. I think desiring to be an eight, nine seed is a little bit odd because that's like one of the least desirable seeds to be, but I I do think they deserve it. Yeah. I think they have the advantage to some extent um, of in an eight, nine seed, you're not going to get stuck with Gonzaga. Right. Yeah. They aren't going to put you there because you're, you're in the same conference, can't meet in the second round. Yeah. Um, they'll get the advantage. Of, I mean, they won't go west, mm-hmm. but they'll get the, they'll probably get one of the lower three three one seeds if they're on that eight nine line. Yeah, I don't know if I'm if I'm picking San Francisco over any of the one seeds necessarily, but I bet that they're <laughs> going to give them a game. I bet they're going to give them a game. Well, they can give anyone a game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked kind of WCC versus Big East. Um, obviously, top to bottom, the conferences are not comparable. The Big East is is very strong, you know, one through ten. But I'm curious if you Eleven. could. One th- yes, one through eleven. Thank if you. you want to exclude Georgetown, that's <laughs> <laughs> that just that just helps the Big East argument. <laughs> um, I don't I don't think that we'll ever see like you know the lower level teams in the Big East agree to play the lower level teams in the WCC. But man, how fun would it be to get like a non conference battle between these two teams, I, these two conferences? I'd really love to see. You know, I know Gonzaga would do well in the Big East. I'm pretty confident St. Mary's would do well in the Big East. I'm not super sold on the rest of the teams, but I think it would be really interesting to get a chance to see these two conferences duke it out in the non-conference if they were willing to do so. Yeah, I'd be down with that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the Big East would necessarily be. Probably not. Um, just because I don't think it really helps anyone except probably like a Villanova and UConn. I'm assuming those mm-hmm. would be probably the two biggest um, markets that would land the Gonzaga-St. Mary's game most years. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, I, like if they're going to do it based on conference seating, it's hard to imagine Gonzaga doesn't play Nova every year, which if it's not a big East WCC challenge, I'm totally fine with that as just being a, a home and home right. or, or right. as, as Gonzaga has done so brilliantly to not to say to game the selection committee, but kind of the game, the selection committee, the, the pseudo home games, yeah. um, like play Villanova at MSG and play mm-hmm. and, and then play Nova back in where you guys played Alabama mm-hmm. this year too. Yeah. Yeah, no, Gonzaga is very good at playing not true road games for a long time. That is, if you were, and when people levy, levy that criticism a bit against Mark Few, I'm like, yeah, we don't have a great argument. I think their first true road game this year was like their third game in the WCC, and it was against like Pepperdine. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, <laughs> I get why people might criticize them for that. But if they could find a way to play, like you said, Nova at Madison Square Garden and then in Seattle, like, Absolutely. But is Creighton or Seton Hall going to agree to play San Francisco on the road? Probably not, because that's not a good game for them. And it's probably even bigger to be like even further down the the, the, mm-hmm. the totem pole to, to, to get even further than that, because San Francisco is going to have a couple of good years. But right. You get towards the bottom, um, like Pacific. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Against like a. Butler comes to mind because I went there, but like a Pacific Butler, Butler probably isn't really a fit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Xavier doesn't want to play Portland every year. That's not exactly because <laughs> right. really it's only a bad loss. Right. That's exactly. Good. It's a it's not a good win and it's a bad loss. That's really yeah. all that all that comes out of it. But um, I want to talk about BYU a little bit um, there. You know, you you had them, I believe, on your first four out. Uh, that's where they've been kind of sitting for a long time. I know Mark Pope tried very desperately to get a non-conference game shoehorned into their schedule um, because they had the room and they, they need to pick up a quad one victory if they can. Uh, this is a team that by all accounts should have been an NCAA tournament team without this horrific four game stretch that they went through where they lost 
Santa Clara is not a horrible loss, but it's not a good loss. Pacific is, in fact, a horrible loss. There's no other way to look at it. They just really went through this struggle. And, you know, from my perspective, they're a team with one very, very good player and just not enough complementary pieces around them. But I'm curious if if you think this is a team that that has it in them to potentially do enough damage in WCC tournament to make the NCAA tournament or if they're going to be on the outside looking in when when the, when the tournament starts. You know, I think they're a team that could potentially benefit from a couple of high majors. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Michigan, for instance, is 15 and 12 or 14 and 12 right now. Yeah. Um, they could benefit from a team like Michigan just dropping a couple games where Michigan's mm-hmm. metrics are still going to be way better than BYU's. Right. But at a certain point, your win-loss record has to be there. Right. Uh, and that could be the same case for maybe like an Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think BYU has it in them to make it a run. I think part of their thing um, right now is they have the, the quadrant records are close enough to be in the mix. Yeah. They're seven, eight in quad one and two. They have a horrible loss, but they are not alone in having mm-hmm. a horrible loss. SMU has a quad, has a quad three loss and a quad four loss. Memphis has two quad three losses. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of teams in that area that have bad losses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think BYU is quite out of there. Their big issue right now is just their metrics have fallen apart. Um, I'm glad you said that because I think I've continued to say how, hey, the dream of the four-bid WCC is still alive. It's still alive, even after BYU went through this stretch. And a lot of people were couldn't believe that that was still the case. And I was like, look, it's not as much that BYU – you know, isn't playing bad. They are, they, they were struggling, but there's a lot of bubble teams that were really hurting themselves. And we saw the PAC 12 disintegrate with Oregon having some really ugly losses. They rebounded with a win over UCLA and then, then lost to USC, Washington state hurt their chances pretty significantly. There's a lot of power five schools that seem like they're working really hard to not get themselves a bid in the NCAA tournament. And that's why teams like BYU, San Diego state, they're kind of still hanging on to a spot. And, and, and obviously the challenge now is, BYU has to beat a very good team or or they're not going to make. They have to beat Gonzaga. They probably have to beat, you know, St. Mary's or San Francisco, depending how the bracket lies, uh, in order to get a chance. And, and whereas some of the other Power 5 schools, obviously they have to beat good teams too. But if Oregon can just beat, you know, Colorado or Stanford in the first round, that probably gives them a little bit of a breathing room, whereas BYU just doesn't quite have that opportunity. That's, that's the challenge with the WCC, and it's just – they, they didn't do themselves any favors with their ugly four-game stretch there in the middle of the season, but I think the fact that they still have a chance says more about the kind of crumbling bubble than it does about anything else. Yeah, and I'll say there's a couple things that I like about BYU. One, they have the advantage that I wouldn't say head-to-head matters all that much mm-hmm. unless the teams are directly next to each other on the S-curve, mm-hmm. um, which I think was what the committee kind of went with during the bracket preview with putting Illinois over Wisconsin. They are right next to each other, and Illinois mm-hmm. beat Wisconsin. Um, where if it comes down to that, UAU has a win over Oregon where it was not close and a win over San Diego State. Um, So those three teams, I think San Diego State's pretty safely in and Oregon Mm -hmm. is just a little bit behind BYU right now. But Mm -hmm. if those teams end up close to each other, I think BYU probably gets an edge over both of them. Yeah. The other thing I'll note is I have two teams in my last eight teams in the field right now Mm -hmm. that are currently getting automatic bids but are Mm -hmm. not safe if they lose in their conference tournament. That's North Texas and Loyola, Chicago. Right. Um, where I think that those are two teams that I wouldn't be that shocked if BYU finds a way to schedule either the Ramblers or the, or the Mean Green. Mm-hmm. If they can get one of those two in before Selection Sunday, that's a big game for one of any of those three teams. Right. Um, I don't think there's really anyone else that can mutually benefit. I think BYU can't really schedule anybody that's not in the same position as they are. Right. Um, they also have to schedule someone that's confident they can beat BYU. <laughs> 
Right. Exactly. It's not like it's not like North Texas and Loyola are going to look at a BYU game. It's like, eh, I think we're going to lose that one and fall out of the tournament. They right. have to be pretty confident they can win that game too. Um, yeah. So I think that it's a really tough schedule to add a game to the schedule this late. But mm-hmm. if they could, I'd look at maybe one of those two, um, or maybe even a mid-major that thinks they could maybe get in that large, maybe a South Dakota State somehow. Right. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a scheduling guy. Um, yeah. I'll leave that up to the ADs and the coaching staffs. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of challenges with trying to do that at this stage in the game, too. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate uh, you taking your time. Uh, you want to let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, find you on Twitter uh, for people who are interested in following you uh, as we get into the, the bracket season. Absolutely. You guys can find me at Hardwired Sports uh, on Twitter, and I post all my articles on HeatCheckCBB. Uh, dot com. It's daily bracketology updates the rest of the season. Bubble watch on Wednesday. Top twenty five. Bubble babbles. Everything you put together before selection Sunday hits. Absolutely. Well, Lucas, thanks again for coming on. Uh, lots more content coming this week. Uh, a couple more guests coming on the show as we wait for Gonzaga's next game next week. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Available on YouTube as well. Uh, I want to thank all of you who make Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.